Well, thank you very much, Pastor Dan. And, uh, and, uh, and that, uh, that uh, surprise that we have for the kids who are going to draw me, uh, that stands for you guys online too. So if your parents email me a picture of what you drew about me, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to get you something as well. Uh, so let me, let me just start by praying. Heavenly Father, God, to you be the glory. Holy Father, help us to focus our hearts and our minds on you alone. God, open our, our hearts to know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. And that you, that you are pursuing us. Father, we love you. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So in, in the year 2015, there was a data breach of a major website. And, uh, and the, the fallout from the data being released was disastrous. Um, the, the website was Ashley Madison, and uh, there has been data breaches before and after this one, but I think you could probably make an argument that this was one of the most disastrous fallouts of the data being released into the, um, into the general public's knowledge, because if, you're, if you don't know, if you're unaware, Ashley Madison is a web community, a website, a uh, a cesspool, you might even say, uh, where the whole aim of it is to uh, help people be unfaithful in their marriages. That's the whole point of the website. And so you can imagine when the names and the email addresses, and I think even uh, where they lived of the, of the patrons of this website was released, the results were devastating. And it's, what was interesting is when you listen to commentary about it, what I found fascinating is that it really doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, almost everybody would agree that unfaithfulness in marriage is immoral, right? That it's, it's wrong. That's why they try to hide it on the far reaches of the internet. But think about it, the, the flip side is also true that we... We very much value stories of people who have, have surpassed, you know, who've gone through long marriages, right, into 50, 60, 70 years. We celebrate that as, as a society at large, regardless of your uh, religion or creed. People celebrate the fact that when, when people make it long uh, in, in marriage. Now, if I could tell you the key to a lasting marriage, would, would you want to hear that? Now, now, maybe you're looking at me and you're saying, well, there's absolutely no way you could tell me the key to a lasting marriage. You haven't been married long enough to tell me that. And at 10 years running strong, you're probably right. I don't, haven't been in there long enough to be able to have lived out the reality. But I don't think we need the life experience to be able to answer the question. I think, I think we're shown the answer to that question. Um, and in fact, we're given an example, a very vivid example of how to have a lasting marriage to the example of how God uh, sacrificially pursues his people. How God sacrificially pursues his people. 
But before we can get into that, I want to give you a little bit of context. You see, as a church, we've been, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of a sermon series through the book of Zechariah. And it's important, I think it's helpful for us to remember why God is speaking through Zechariah, his prophet, to his people at that particular point in history. Uh, so remember that God's people had just returned from 70 years in exile in Babylon, and they had been sent into exile for 70 years because of their unfaithfulness. And just like uh, those people who, who uh, pursue a relationship outside of their marriage, break the faith, break the vows that they made before their spouse, God's people had broken the covenant that they had made with God by pursuing relationships outside of that covenant. They had pursued other gods that are not really gods. They had trusted in nations for protection rather than trusting in the God who promised and proved that he would protect them. And they had looked to themselves and to their own glory and to their own affections rather than looking to the God who they should have. And last week, if you'll recall, Pastor John taught us from Zechariah chapter 7 where we're shown that God's people, even when they were doing the rituals, even when they were doing the things that God had told them to do, not only did they kind of add to that, but God says, you weren't even doing it for, for me. You're doing the actions, but you weren't doing it for me. You were doing it for yourselves when they fasted and they feasted. They were doing it for their own glory rather than for the glory of God. And then when God called out to them through his prophets to to, to rectify their, their problems, he, when he called out to them to try and bring them back to him, they closed their ears and they refused to listen. And so they went away to exi into exile. And, and if you read through the book of Ezekiel, or, or I think it's Ezekiel 10, you read about how God's presence physically and literally left the temple where he had dwelt with his people. But now... As we come to Zechariah chapter 8, we get God's message of hope. God's message of hope to his people, how he's going to pursue them. He's going to pursue them. And this morning, uh, as I've said, we're reading in Zechariah 8 verses 1 through 8. If you haven't turned there um, already, please do so now, and I'll invite you also to stand with me for the public reading of God's word, if you are able so we'll be reading from Zechariah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. You may have a seat. Here in our text, we find a God who, like a loving husband, sacrificially pursues his bride. What we see is a jealous God who returns to bring peace and redemption. A jealous God returns to bring peace and redemption to his people. But let's break that down, shall we? That's a, that's a big statement, and let's, let's break it down. See where I, where I get that from. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. A jealous God. A jealous God. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a television show or maybe a movie where uh, the characters are, there's two characters about to get married and they decide that they don't want those, you know, old-fashioned vows. They're going to write their own vows, okay? And, and so usually this plays out uh, by, you know, one or both of them really laboring over what they're going to say. They just don't know what they want to say. And so they're laboring over that. And, and then when the moment comes in the ceremony, um, they look down at their, at their sheet or their cue cards. And sometimes they even just like, passionately toss them away. And the music swells and it's this great emotional moment and there's this impassioned speech about just how much they care about the person standing before them, how they make them laugh and how they like the way they look and how they're just so darn happy. And then the officiant asks them to kiss and then they walk down the aisle and everybody's applauding and, and, and crying. And as they're walking away, often I find myself thinking, they didn't promise anything. They had this big impassioned speech about how much they care about the other person and how much they make them happy. Things who, if you've been married for five minutes, you know are going to fade. <laughs> Only for a moment. <laughs> but they didn't make any vows. That's not so. That's not so with God's God and his people. No, when God met them on Mount Sinai and they formed a covenant, God promised to be their God. But they, the people, promised to be his people. And they promised to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. And it's on the basis of this covenant, this covenant, that God's jealousy burns. That's why in marriage ceremonies, we have those old-fashioned vows because we're promising things to one another. You see, it's true for you and I too, 
brothers and sisters, we may not have had this formal ceremony where we are gathered before a mountain and the presence of God sits on the mountain and and he speaks and then we respond verbally. But when when we committed to following Jesus and the Holy Spirit entered and regenerated our hearts, we made a commitment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And it's on the basis of this commitment that God's jealousy burns for us as well. You see, he pursued his people because of his great love for them. And as, as creatures created in the image of God, our, great, our, our greatest need is to glorify him with all that we are. And so when the people of God put their affections in things other than God, he is jealous. And when threats come from outside to steal away the affections of his people, God is jealous. And we read here that it's not some earthly um, jealousy where we're uh, anxious and, 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 and not really knowing and not wanting the other person. to. It's not, it's not small like that. We read here that it's that he is je- great jealousy and, and jealous for her with great wrath. See, because God knows that our greatest need is to glorify him, that that's what he created us for, And so when a threat comes to steal away that glory, God is jealous and he has none of it because God is a jealous God. And it's in in light of that jealousy that God acts on behalf of his people. He pursues them. He pursues us even when we don't pursue him. Verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. A jealous God returns. A jealous God returns. I think in order to help us grasp the significance of God's return to Jerusalem and to Zion, which, by the way, through the book of Zechariah, he tends to use both of those titles, those words, those places somewhat interchangeably. Um, Mount Zion being the high place in Jerusalem where the temple sat. And he uses these to to represent the very epicenter or the, the central place where God meets with his people. And so we find the significance of this, of God leaving here. Um, uh, we need to consider some of the history. The truth is, is that Jerusalem, as a representation of the people of God, does not have a reputation of being faithful. Does not have a reputation of being faithful, um, but, but rather unfaithful. You see, um, while God's presence sat in the temple in Jerusalem, the throne, the king that sat on the throne also in Jerusalem often did not yield the, 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 the role of leader to, to God. And in fact, if you want to read about the, the roller coaster that is the rule of Jerusalem, I encourage you to read through First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles. 
And what we see actually is that it's not a place of faithfulness on behalf of the people of God, but rather it's a, it's a place of unfaithfulness where God's people continually break faith, break the covenant that they made with God. But here in our text, we see that God's return brings a new reality. Right? God is reestablishing Jerusalem as a faithful city contrasted with its history. But what we see, simply by reading through, through more of in Scripture, is that it did not have its ultimate fulfillment, this passage, in the days of Zechariah. Right? The, the Lord had not yet returned and, and made Jerusalem perfect again. Not then. In fact, um, we see that uh, even today, we have not had the full extent of the fulfillment of this passage. But rather, what we have here is God's message of hope for a coming reality. See, today even, we still look forward to the day when, when God will, will make perfect our physical reality. But we can hope that it will one day happen and take solace in the reality that God has returned once already to start that process through Jesus, restoring what was unfaithful, namely our hearts, and changing the narrative. Taking what had been contrary and hostile towards God and making it faithful to him alone. And brothers and sisters, the precious reality of, of what the work of the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is this regenerating work. And the truth is, there is no blessing without the presence of God. And so he must return. And what we see in the text here in, verses, in verse 3 is that a jealous God returns to his bride. Now, like I said, this has been partially fulfilled already. Jesus did come to fix the relationship between us, God's people, and God. That was the whole purpose of why he willingly went to the cross and why he was raised from the dead on the third day. And brothers and sisters, in this we can and should rejoice. In fact, we're even going to have an opportunity in just a little while to, to put some handles on that and, and, and really settle into that joy as we take the elements of communion together in a little while. But with that rejoicing, we also still hopefully await the coming of Christ again in glory. We anxiously await his return because that is what, when this text here will be ultimately fulfilled. When he will again call Jerusalem the faithful city, and when he will again call Zion, or the mountain of the, whole, of, of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And when he returns, he will not be idle. When God returns, he will not be idle. He returns for a purpose. And so let's keep reading here to see that purpose. Verses 4 to 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. A jealous God returns to bring peace. A jealous God returns to bring 
peace. And this is a beautiful image, isn't it? The image of, of the, the aged getting to, to sit whenever, wherever they want in the streets. This image of children playing wherever they please. We get glimpses of this in, in our lives and in our context here, don't we? I vividly remember uh, growing up and playing hockey in the streets of my neighborhood. You know, that moment when, uh, when, when a car starts to come down the road and somebody yells, car! And you get everything out of the way. Or I remember riding my bike through my neighborhood. But even in those contexts, we, it wasn't perfect, was it? They still had cars coming down the road, and, and I wasn't able to ride my bike wherever I wanted. I couldn't go past the train tracks, and I had to be back in by the time the lights came, back on, came on in the streets, right? And be, because, because there's lots of places around the world that, that this isn't true. This isn't a reality. Uh, if we think of, of many of even the cities across the United States as of late, I wouldn't be letting my kids playing in the streets, or, or we look at, to the border of, of Armenia and Azerbaijan where there's intense conflict. Or maybe even more uh, specifically, if we look at our text here, consider Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem right now, which is very much filled with strife. Sometimes it can be very difficult to imagine a world at peace, can't it? It can be very hard. We look around our world and we think, how will this ever happen? How will there ever be peace? Where, what hope is there? Where can we find hope? Well, brothers and sisters, as is often the case, if we just keep reading, we will find hope. Look at verse 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. So the people, they were just like us, looking around the world and saying, how will this ever be made peaceful? That's, that's ridiculous. I could never see that happening. And what is God's response? Doesn't mean I can't see it happening. Because we can know that even when things are at their most dreariest, and many people have said that this was the worst year of their lives, the most dreariest year of their lives, even when that is the case, God is still at work. God is still in control. And even if we cannot see the path forward, God can. And in that, brothers and sisters, we can take Hope. We can take hope. And I, for one, I praise God and I trust that he will make a way. It is not marvelous in the sight of the Lord. But his return doesn't just bring peace. As amazing and incredible as that is, God is not done yet. He's brought peace, but he's not done yet. Let's keep moving. Verses 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. A jealous God returns to bring peace and 
redemption. A jealous God returns to bring peace and redemption. I've said it a few times now that the fulfillment of this passage started when Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago and it will ultimately be fulfilled when he returns again in glory and initiates the new heavens and new earth. And the reality is, until unless Jesus is about to return right this moment, I was, I was hoping, I was hoping, apparently not yet, But unless he returns now, the redemption of God's people hasn't yet fully been fulfilled, has it? I don't know about you, but there are several people still in my life that I'm hoping and praying come to know Jesus before he returns. And I trust God that many of them will because he is still fulfilling the redemption of his people. Because it does indeed continue. The truth is, when each believer, that's you, that's me, comes to faith in Christ, we are brought into the presence of God. The Holy Spirit enters into our hearts, bringing us into the presence of God. This redemption has indeed started. God continues, he continues to call his people from the east and from the west. Or in other words, he's calling his people who were separated from him back into presence, the presence of God. He calls them to himself. And you know as well as I do that that was all of us before we came to know the truth about Jesus and the Holy Spirit regenerated our hearts. And when we answered that call, we entered into a covenant with God. We said, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. When we entered into that covenant with God as our, to be, as our passage says, his people, and he will be our God in faithfulness and in righteousness. And this has begun, but we can hope in a perfected relationship with our Lord when he comes again. See, a jealous God returns to bring peace and redemption. Through this passage, we learn that God loves his people so much. He loves them so much that he pursues them. And when when taken with the rest of Scripture, we see that he pursues them even, even when they do not pursue him. In fact, we see that God pursues his people even when they are actively hostile against him. He pursues them. And thank God he does. Because the reality is is that I I was lost. But he found me. I started this message by talking about marriage and the covenant of marriage because it's one of the ways and it's one of the most vivid ways, I think, that God communicates communicates with us, shows us about the relationship that he has with his people. That's why it's so important. And I think the Apostle Paul um, beautifully articulates God's covenant with his people as that representation of this 
sacrificial pursuit in Romans 5 verse 8 when he says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul elsewhere actually goes on to show the direct correlation between marriage and the covenant that he made with his people in Ephesians chapter 5. And so I encourage you to go there and, and, and read that as well. See, God loves us so much that he sacrificed his only son so that we could be made right with him. With, with him. In verse 2, we saw that, that God is jealous for Zion with great jealousy and jealous for her with great wrath. Wrath. The reality is, is he does not pour out that wrath on his people. He poured it out on Jesus for us. Christ willingly went to the cross to bear the burden for our unrighteousness so that we could be his people and he could be our God. And because of this, we look forward to the glorious reality that will be the ultimate fulfillment of our text. True peace and true and perfect redemption. Because, because of the return of a jealous God. So I want to ask you this morning. Do you know the God who pursues you? Do you know this jealous God? If you don't, if you don't know this God, I want you to know that even right now, as you are actively running away from him, God is pursuing you. So I encourage you to, to reach out to somebody who you know knows him. That could be me, one of the pastors. Maybe you came with somebody. Talk to them. If you're watching online, you feel free to even write in the chat or, or email the church, info at templebaptistchurch.ca. And we would love to pray with you and to introduce you to the God who is actively pursuing you. If you do know him, let me ask you, are you turning all of your affections over to him? Or are you allowing extra covenantal relationships to take your faithfulness away from him? Because hear me, he is a jealous God and he will pursue you to the point of taking those things away if he needs to. I want to invite the band. You, can, you guys can come on back up. We're, we're going to sing a song about how jealous God is for us and how much he loves us. And then after we're done singing, we're going to get the opportunity to respond again, responding in song, and then we'll respond indeed through taking of the elements of communion. Let me pray. Holy Father, gracious Lord, God, I pray that you would push away any distraction, anything that is trying to impede what you want to say to your people, I pray that you would keep it at bay. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the glory of the Lord 
Open our ears to hear the word that you have to say to us today and open our hearts to know that you alone are God. And to you, Lord Jesus, be all honor and glory and power and all of our affections. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.